Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. Representative Raymond Hull, a Providence Democrat, has been at the State House for over a decade and has served in the Providence Police Department for 33 years. He was recently named Deputy Speaker of the Rhode Island House of Representatives, making him the first black legislator to hold that position. He says this is the year the State House will finally revamp the law that protects police officers who are being investigated for misconduct. We'll talk about that and Nicholas Oliverdian after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with Representative Raymond Hull, the new Deputy Speaker of the Rhode Island House of Representatives. Thank you for joining us. Good, and good afternoon, and thank you for allowing me to sit down with you. Uh, Well, congratulations, first of all, on your appointment. Well, thanks. What does it mean to you to be the first black legislator to hold the Deputy Speaker's position? Well, I don't look at it as the first black. I look at it as a speaker who I adore, who has vision, who has understanding, actually seen me. I just happen to be black. Yeah. And I look at it that way. Doesn't mean to say that doesn't help other young black individuals or older to say, hey, there's somebody that looks like me that's in that position. So I'm grateful for that. Tell us about the duties of the deputy speaker for those who don't know. Is it mostly ceremonial or does it come with some power? Well, it's a little bit of both because now you're in upper leadership. It means you have the voice of the speaker in that uh, you can assist them. Well, he'll ask you to assist him. You also will sit down with uh, the closed meetings of leadership and how we're going to dictate or where that house is going to run. Right, right. So you're succeeding Representative Charlene Lima, Cranston Democrat, as deputy speaker. How will your leadership style differ from hers? Well, uh, I adore Lima. I think she's a very, very nice individual and very nice uh, for her leadership style. Differs from mine in that I'm a people person, and I'm not afraid to get in someone's face to say, hey, but not disrespectful, to say that we need to do it this way, or I want to go it this way. But there's a nice way to do it, and not also to make someone look bad. 
So her style is a lot different than I am, but I like her. How would you describe the Democratic caucus in the House now in terms of where it leans politically? I mean, the, the rep for the next district over is David Morales, who describes himself as a Democratic socialist. Do you find yourself more moderate or more conservative than your colleagues or in the middle? No, I'm in the middle, and uh, I would say I'm liberal all day long. Uh, I don't think you could call me a progressive, and I'm not ashamed to say that. Only because uh, liberals have a tendency, at least in my perspective, to do things that other people won't do, but they'll also add a little caveat and say, this is why I'm doing it, and please get on board with me. Whereas uh, I notice some of the progressives, either you're on board or you're not. But if you can't see me as a liberal, then you're not seeing me at all. So you, you consider yourself a, a liberal? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, well, uh, well, <laughs> it's the only way to be. you got to see other people. <laughs> right, right, right. Do you, do you think you're more conservative than a lot of the caucus, or are you a good reflection of it? Well, I, well, I see the distinction. You know, the progressives are a little bit more way over. Yeah. And would I say I'm a moderate? Absolutely. But I, would, I have that liberal tendency to say, hey, there's other ways to look at things. Yeah. Whereas some of my colleagues may not. Yeah, what's one example you could cite to show that you are a liberal? Well, your environmental piece that we had last year that really we want to change the state to understand there is a crisis that we're under right now, and that is the environmental that we got to preserve it. So I remember, I don't know the, the exact uh, number of the bill, but it was controversial, and they, well, we're going to get rid of refrigerators, we're going to get rid of this. It's none of that. It's, it's saying that we're going to a different era with this state, and we can see it, but not to shut it down where some of my colleagues didn't. Democratic colleagues, I would say, didn't vote with the bill. Yeah, Representative Lima had voted against the majority of the House on several high-profile pieces of legislation last year, including a bill that limits gun magazine capacity to 10 rounds, and I think you're talking about the Act on Climate, right? Correct. Which, which made the state's goals for reducing greenhouse gas emissions mandatory and enforceable. How did you vote on the Act on Climate and why? I voted yes on it, and I voted because I, I don't live in a vacuum. Neither of a, n- No one should live in a vacuum. We're coming to a crisis in our country that if we don't recognize it in our world, carbon emissions, global warming, it's no joke, <laughs> you know. So if I can do my little bit, that's why I voted with it. And how about the, the magazine capacity limit? Well, uh, being an officer, at first I wasn't really with it because what do you do with people who have the 10-round magazines? What do you do with that? So I grappled with it for a while. I remember going back and forth over it. And then I said, well, what? let's find out how other people are thinking about it. Like the Chiefs of Police Association. When I listened to them, they sent over uh, their information on how they want, how they feel about it. It made me comfortable. It made me a lot easier to vote for it. The Rhode Island Police Chiefs Association, they supported. So you ended up voting for it. Yes, in the AG's office also. Right, right. Yes. So that that passed. How will you handle it if you do disagree with a significant piece of legislation that the leadership team wants to pass? Well, you'd be up front and up forward with the speaker and give your explanation why. Mm. And if you can articulate it in in a way, I believe and I know for sure the speaker will agree, Ray, fine. And he said that to 
all of us in the chamber. I'm not asking you to vote on everything blindly. You know, so that's how people will look at us. Oh, you always vote with leadership. No, he specifically said this on numerous times. There's something that goes against what you believe in, and you, know, you don't have to vote for it. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Do you have a recent example of a bill you oppose that the leadership supported? I don't because uh, right now my record with this, with this leadership is probably about 90-something percent. The death of Tyree Nichols at the hands of Memphis police officers has renewed the push to revamp a state law that protects police officers being investigated for misconduct. As a, as a black police officer who's not now in House leadership, what are your thoughts on changing or repealing even the law enforcement officer's Bill of Rights? Well, uh, something has to be done. There has to be some reform. And, and it's going to be not some like Band-Aid either. And I will tell you that I will be on something that really effectively makes some changes in policing. You think this is the year? This is the year. <laughs> this is the year, and this is the time. I will be on some legislation that will reform the, the way we look at law enforcement's Bill of Rights. What are the changes that are most important to make to, to Leobor? There's been talk about changing the makeup of the board, adding people to the three members of, of the board that reviews cases. There's been talk about extending the amount of days that an officer can be suspended. What do you think is the most important thing to do? The most important thing, I think, is with the police chiefs and what they can say and what they can do. You have to understand, people only want to know what's going on, and they look to that leader. And if that leader can't say anything to calm, you're, you're holding his hands. If he's allowed to do what he continues to do, I can't stand behind the law enforcement's Bill of Rights. It almost looks like a cover-up. Yeah, you're right. When there are cases, often you see the police chief or the mayor being quoted saying, well, I can't comment any further because of the law enforcement officer's Bill of Rights. Do you want to take that, uh, remove that restriction? Well, put it so that he can say something. Yeah. Because when I was in charge of records, there are certain rules that you are governed by that you can release certain information of a report. Yeah. So if I can do it, a report, and uh, they told you uh, what you could do, and that's by the attorney general's office. They put out a booklet every year, tell you what you can release, how you can release it. Something along that line, but it needs to be expanded for the police chiefs. So we look to those chiefs, those people in charge. Some legislators, including Senator Tiara Mack, want to go even further and totally repeal Leobor. What do you think of that idea? Well, it's an idea. It's an idea. Do I necessarily agree with it? Probably not at this point. Unless, of course, it gets to a point where nobody can come to an understanding if we have to start from scratch, we start from scratch. But I don't necessarily think we need to go to zero. And destroying it right now, no. But something has to be done. Yeah, why do you say this is the year? Because, you know, when George Floyd was killed, there was a push to do something that year. Nothing happened. Nothing happened last year. Why this year? Because it's still in the forefront of, of what we see every day. It's not changing. And if you look at the offices, we would always say, well— it's just white officers onto blacks, and now you see all black officers onto a black. With so it's Nichols. police, right? So it's policing that needs to actually change and and come to some reality that hey, it's not working the old way. 
one of the bills we'll be keeping an eye on this year is the Equality and Abortion Coverage Act, which would provide abortion coverage for Medicaid recipients and state employees. What do you think of that bill? Well, I think the governor put it in. I, I think it's in the budget right. this year. It's a little controversial for me in that uh, I'm pro-life. Uh, I, I have dif- some difficulties personally, but I do know if it's in the budget, it will pass in the budget. You're pro-life. Does that mean you would vote against it? Well, you can't really vote against it in the budget because— Oh, I see. It would be in the— yeah, You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I, I, I will vote for the budget. Right, right. I see what uh, you mean. But a standalone bill, yes, I would vote no. There's been a lot of headlines about Nicholas Alaverdian, a former Rhode Islander who has become a fugitive, alleged to have faked his own death to escape rape allegations. Tell us about how you came to know him. Uh, I will tell you, uh, Nicholas was a very cunning young man— in 2010, I meet the young individual as a young, energetic, a real charismatic. He had something about him that you had to believe him. And I did. I did. He was advocating for DCYF. When you actually see somebody who believes in something, you know. I said, this guy can't be a liar. And, it, and no bells or whistles went off in my head because of, you know, being a cop. Uh, he's a young kid. He looks good. He's, you know, fine. He leaves, he comes back, he says to me, I said, Nick, where have you been? I've been at Brown, no, Harvard, studying at Harvard. Can you advocate for me for the DCYF bill? I said, I'd be more than happy to. And then from there, I kept in contact with him for a while until he gets sick and he's in Russia or somewhere overseas and he said he's, he's dying, I feel bad. I even put in a proclamation for him on the floor, you know, on the death of uh, Nicholas, only because out of respect for him. Now, you have to understand, I don't know anything prior to what we know now. I just knew him as a young individual advocating for DCYF. Yeah, when do you think of now? Because now uh, he's over there saying he's uh, an Englishman named Arthur. Yeah, Knight. what I know about him now, it's kind of, it's heartbreaking. But would I have done it for the same kid, you know, advocate for the same kid who's not Anthony Arthur Knight, Arthur Knight. Says he's what Arthur he is Arthur Knight. Knight now, I wouldn't do it for. But if it was that same individual who comes before me, I would still do it for him and advocate for him for the changes of DCYF. Do you feel like you were duped by him? But of course. Yeah. But of course. But, I mean, if I lived that way, I would never legislate <laughs> because not everybody tells you the truth. <laughs> I see, I see. So finally, I know that my colleague Dan McGowan's one of your constituents. Ah, wonderful, wonderful. So tell us the truth. Has he been causing any problems with the neighbors uh, talking trash about the Knicks or anything like that? <laughs> no, no. Actually, I like Dan when he's walking up the street to take care of the little kids at the baseball field. Oh, he's a little league <laughs> yeah, coach yeah, at Mount yeah. Pleasant, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would see him walk past the house. And, well, you go, oh, I'm going up the street to see the kids, take care of the kids. <laughs> All right. Representative Hull, thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Here are some more stories to check out this week in Globe, Rhode Island. My colleague Alexa Gigas has a fascinating story about an enslaved West African woman, once called the Pastry Queen of Rhode Island, who baked her way to freedom. Alexa also has a Q&A with the co-founder of Plant Docs, a Providence nonprofit that is educating adults on the benefits of a vegan diet. And I have a story about Pierre Lipton, 
a Brown University graduate who was named to the Forbes 30 Under 30, who just died after completing a marathon at age 26. For those stories and more, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. And if you like the podcast, do us a favor. Follow the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all anytime and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.